I, I need you to stick with me because today is probably going to be the most challenging. Poke your neighbor and say, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> How many want to know what the Bible has to say? Do we want to know all the counsel of God? We want to know all of what the Word of God says? Are we sure about that? If you're online, just say, I do. Type it in the chat box and we'll, 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 we'll give you a big thumbs up. But listen, this is probably going to be the most challenging message out of this entire series. Because we live in a society where everybody gets participation trophies. And everybody's pampered. And nobody's called on the carpet. And everybody's lifestyle, whatever they want it to be, is just accepted joyfully by everybody. And you know God calls us to something different. How many want to know what the Word of God has to say now? Well, that wasn't very affirmative there. Have you ever heard a Christian, not somebody in the world, have you ever heard somebody in church say, when they're confronted with something, don't judge me? You ever heard that? Don't judge me. You're not my judge. The Bible says don't judge me. Well, let's dive into that. To judge or not to judge? That is the question. And that is the title of this message. Everybody say to judge or not to judge? Are you ready? Are you sure you're ready? I know where I'm going, so I'm not sure you are. Amen. But we're going to go there. Amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 13. And I'm going to just tell you this is going to challenge every fiber of your American mindset. But do we want to hear what God has to say? Because God contributed an entire chapter of the Bible in just this one area to this subject. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word... Um, this is not a message you're probably going to hear from, I've never heard anybody preach on this. People don't want to preach on this, but it is New Testament. How many of you think that God finds it to be important? How many of you are willing to listen to the entire message before you want to throw a tomato at me? Is that okay? All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you got it on version. you got the notes, and here we go. Paul writing, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Yikes. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should, re here we go, I'm, it's starting now. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. But pastor, we got to show grace. We got to show love. Again, stick with me because we're going to flesh this out. Even though I'm not with you in person, Paul's writing, he's from somewhere else. He said, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already, watched this, passed judgment on this man. But pastor, wait a minute. I thought, judge not lest you be judged. Why is Paul saying I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of our Lord Jesus? So he's bringing Jesus into this judgment. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out 
and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Now, how many of you still want me to keep reading and keep preaching this message? Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us, so let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new breed of sincerity and truth. When I wrote to you before, I told you, here we go, not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. God put in his book and said, someone who claims to be a Christian that sits in the pews and practices a lifestyle of sin, he said, don't even have a cup of coffee and don't go to lunch with them. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, people that don't have a covenant with Jesus, that don't claim to be a Christian, but it certainly is your responsibility. Everybody say, your responsibility. To judge those inside the church who are sinning. Is this the New Testament, folks? God will judge them on the, out, on the outside, but as the scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. Now, this is not a witch hunt today. This is just to teach us what God's word says about judging. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. You've, you've contributed an entire chapter in the book of Corinthians to this subject. I pray, God, that our defenses would be lowered. I pray our walls would be lowered. And I pray, God, you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. Teach us from your word, God, as you've given to me. So I'm going to give, Father, as you've commanded. And so I pray, God, let your, your word come forth in spirit and truth and power and might, not in, not in word and tongue only. I pray let it fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. If you got a green bracelet, high five somebody and get ready. Let's do our pledge or air high five somebody and let's hold our Bibles up and boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. Everybody say, hang in there. Pastor's going to teach us. Yeah. Fuck your other neighbor say, Pastor's going to teach us today. You know, I'm amazed at the chapters in the Bible that we read through and we say, yes, that's the Bible, but does anybody ever put it into practice? I ran across Tony Evans, his wonderful church in Dallas, Texas. How many know Tony Evans? I mean, just a radio broadcast. 
Do you know on Wednesday nights, he has a tribunal every single Wednesday night for his members. And when they have a problem with somebody or an issue, they come to them and the church judges. You know, that's exactly what the Bible's teaching here. I, I don't want to freak you out, but this is New Testament stuff, folks. Many churches have members who have become involved in shameful sin. When this happens, what does the church do? Do we ignore it? Like an ostrich, do we stick our head in the ground and pretend it didn't happen? Do we pray about it and hope that, man, God will fix it before I got to do something? Or do we as a church take action and do everything possible to restore that person to Christ? Matthew 7, 1 says, judge not lest you be judged. And you'll hear that many times from someone who claims to be a Christian that's living a lifestyle contrary to the word. And they'll say, well, brother, you can't judge me. But when Jesus said this, he wasn't saying that his followers were never to judge. He was warning them not to use a self-imposed standard to judge others. So Paul starts off writing here. Ultimately, who wrote this, 1 Corinthians 5? I know Paul wrote it. He, he penned the words, but who wrote this? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us how we're supposed to conduct ourselves as a church. I can see the headlines in the Corinthian Gazette now. Extra, extra. Read all about it. You're not going to believe what's going on at the church in Corinth. Paul says it is actually reported. There are people talking about what is going on inside the church. The story of what happened in Corinth became Front page news on the supermarket tabloids of its day. When Paul at another dis, dis, uh, location uh, somewhere else picked up a copy of the Greek world news to see what the newspaper had to say, he saw something that was baffling to him. It was so widespread that outside of the city of Corinth, wherever Paul was at the time, it got all the way back to his ears because the sin was so heinous. We're not talking about somebody got busted because they cheated on their taxes to Rome here. We're talking about somebody and something that the kind of sin that was so heinous that even the pagans of Corinth were talking about. I'm talking about big stuff. Imagine a man having sexual relations with his stepmother, his father's wife, and not just having sexual relations occasionally, but actually living together. It was heinous. To have, in some versions say, his father's wife indicates a permanency to the relationship, which means they were in fact living together. Now there's no question that this man is a member of the church. He is, from all implications of everything that I could find and study, was a prominent member of this church. He was a prominent member of Corinth. He was somebody everybody knew. Perhaps he had high status in the colony. Maybe he was a Roman citizen that everybody kind of looked up to. There is some level of implication also that he was in fact a leader in the church. And he was guilty as charged and he was flat out unrepentant. This was so bad that even the Gentiles did not approve of what was going on. Not, not only did they not approve of, they didn't accept incest. In fact... As bad as the Romans were, the Romans were so awful 
that they had, even as bad as they were, as wicked as they were, they had laws that said if you commit and you regularly practice incest, they would exile you to an island to be banished till the day you died. And listen, the Corinthians were so bad. You have to understand how bad the church of Corinth was. They were a messed up group. They were probably the most messed up church you've ever seen in your life. They were so bad, the Corinthians, not just the church, but the town itself, that even as bad as the Romans were, the Romans would use Corinthian as a, like a racial slur. They would say, oh, you Corinthian. It was like, it was like, it was like saying the N-word to someone who's of color. It was like, oh, you just don't do that. And they would say, you, you, Corinthian, you, because the Corinthians were so debased. They were so evil. They were so wicked. And I'm painting a picture here for a reason. Yet even as depraved as the non-Corinthian, the lowest of the low, the, most, the worst red light district in town you could find, think of the worst area of the world you can think about, the most heinous, wicked, nasty, sin-filled city you can think about, and Corinth was worse. And yet, watch this, even the non-believers, the non-church members of Corinth who were that wicked were even drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, what's going on in the church is wrong. This is it's unbelievable. What an indictment that the unchurched, wicked people of Corinth were repulsed by sin that was going on inside the church. They were rebuking the church people. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sex sins sexually sins against their own body. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So they got all this thing going on, and Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes back, and he starts in verse 2 with his indictment on the church. The church's attitude was shameful. It was shameful complacency. Instead of shock, instead of outrage, there's a yawn. Oh, what else is new? So he's sleeping with his stepmom. Who cares? Paul said, because of that and their toleration for sin, they were puffed up. They were proud. They thought they were strong spiritually. They thought they were a strong church. They thought they had it all together. But he said, your tolerance of willful, deliberate sin has caused you pride and everything's going down the toilet. Perhaps it was because the man was prominent in town. Maybe he was a somebody. Maybe he had all the money to fund all the ministries. Paul didn't care. Instead of being proud, he said, you should be mourning. The word mourning there is the same word used in the scriptures for mourning over the loss of someone. Paul said, you should be so upset about what this brother is doing that you ought to be mourning like you would somebody who's died. I have a question for you today. How, when was the last time you mourned over your sin like you mourned over your loved one who died? Let me, let me rephrase it another way. When was the last time you mourned over a brother or sister's sin in the church like you did when you mourned the loss of a loved one? When was the last time we mourned over the grievous sin of the United States of America like we would over a loved one? Because Ezra in the Old Testament was so grieved by the sin he already plucked his beard out and sat weeping and wailing 
all day long at the temple and just crying out. They should have been so grieved they were driven to intense prayer. There's a problem here. They should have mourned and asked God to restore the fallen brother or remove him and his sin from their fellowship through love and correction. Now listen, nobody of believers is ever going to be perfect. We're never going to erase sin completely in, in, in the body and the church. Having a perfect place is not what this is about. I, I, you've got to stick with me. This is not saying any little sin, throw everybody out because there'd be nobody left. But clear, unquestionable, heinous sin should not be tolerated in God's church. A complacent, easygoing attitude towards sin will destroy both lives and churches. Every society has rules that governs its members. Every society. And the most respected and honored societies are, will deal with their members and its membership rules when they are continually broken. No matter what society it is. It could be a union. It could be a ball team. But they say we have rules. Well, the most honored and respected are the ones that say you broke the rules. We have to deal with this now. Folks, the church above all societies should head that list. Amen. Again, we're not talking about mistakes that people make. I'm not talking about you having a bad day, you, you're in traffic, somebody cuts you off, and before you know it, man, you just cuss them and give them the bird. And then 30 seconds later, your heart smites you, and you say, oh, God, what have I done? I repent. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about somebody that quickly repents of their sin. We're talking about a man who was living in his sin when he was confronted by it. He calls himself a Christian, a brother in the Lord. They, they bring him to they say, don't judge me, I'm going to do whatever I want. Me and God got an understanding. We're talking about somebody who refuses to repent. Does this make sense? We're talking about deliberate, willful lifestyle contrary to God's word. Folks, the church of Jesus Christ, listen, is supposed to deal with people who are deliberately living in sin. Christians, brothers in the Lord, not outsiders, not people who don't have a covenant with God. I'm talking about people that call themselves a brother in the church. You want me to freak you out? Let me give you some scriptures. Are you ready? Are you, sure? you still want to hear the whole message? It's going to get... I don't know how to... I was going to say better, but I'm not sure it will. Pastor, we just, we just got to love people. We just got to love them through their sin. That's not what 1 Corinthians says, and that's not what 1 Timothy 5.20 says. Those who are sinning, watch this, rebuke in the private area. No, I know nobody's going to shout this out, so let me just help you. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all. So that all the rest may fear. I got a question. Where's that in the church in America today? You say, Pastor, that's not in any church. Oh, yes, it is. I've been overseas. In fact, I was at a Haitian church one time. And I got a chance to preach. It was a Haitian church in Bahamas. And it was filled. And it was the middle of summer. And it had to be 125 degrees in there. And man, those people love God. And they prayed down the presence of God like you wouldn't believe. Well, the next Sunday, I was preaching in another church, but some of our missions team went over to that church. They said, Dallas, you're not going to believe what happened today. I said, what's that? They said they had a baby dedication. I said, what's so hard about that to believe? They said, oh, it's not what's 
the fact that they did a baby dedication is so hard to believe. It's the way they did it. I said, what happened? I said, well, the pastor of the church got up, and he said, okay, we're going to dedicate this baby. And he said, the mom and the dad had the baby, listen, out of wedlock, and they were not married, and they wanted to dedicate their baby to Christ. And the Haitian pastor in front of everybody said, no, you two sit down. Till you repent and get your life right with God. We don't want you up here. Bring that baby. We're going to pray that baby don't wind up sinning like you. Now some of you right now, you're looking at me and you're ready to throw an egg at me. I'm not saying we need to do that. But I'm telling you, it happens in other countries of the world because they take the Bible seriously. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. If, you heard, if you've been going through the small groups, you find out 66% of the messages that we preach ought to bring correction. They're not all feel good. Folks, feel good is sending people to hell. Do we really care about people's souls? First, or excuse me, Titus 1.13. Here's one that's going to give a good... I'm, somebody's going to run the aisles on this one. Are you ready? This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them with such love and gentleness. Is that what that says? Rebuke them what? Sharply so they will be sound in the faith. Folks, these are New Testament scriptures. Titus 2.15 These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Paul says, put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this. He said, you need to excommunicate this guy. He's doing wrong. He's in your face. You've got to get the sin out. Titus 3.10 tells us to do this. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. He says, you go warn them once and say you're being divisive, whether that's with your tongue through gossip and slander, whether that's deliberately trying to cause discontention. He says, you try a second time. If they still won't listen, have nothing to do with them. So in other words, they say, hey, would you like to go to lunch? I'm sorry, brother, I can't because you're divisive and I've tried to warn you twice and the Bible tells me I'm not supposed to. Now, we're in America, and you laugh at me, and you say, Oh, we got to love people into the kingdom of God. That is loving people into the kingdom of God. Folks, I'm telling you what, the church has become so lily limp. Listen, if people don't feel remorse over their sin, how will they ever get saved? I'm so troubled by what we do. We preach to Santa Claus Jesus, and the scriptures are telling us, you got to deal with, listen, a brother. Again, it's not people outside of the walls. I'm going to define this very clearly for you as I go. So what's the discipline in this, brother? Point number one, there's only two points today. Are you ready? We are to judge those in the church. Everybody say, we are to judge those in the church. Although the individual, listen very closely, you've got to follow me. Although the individual Christian is warned not to sit in judgment upon another Christian, that is absolutely true. The assembled church, the assembled body does indeed not only have the right, but the responsibility whether they want it or not. Paul is calling, listen, the Christian community to make a corporate act. Some people may say, listen, well, what that person does, it's none of my business. None of my business. None of my business. No. 
what a professing Christian believer does is absolutely God's business because it's his church. And listen, it is the church's business because we are a family. We're ambassadors for Christ and this is about his kingdom. Notice that the sinning partner is never named or involved in this. Paul is only concerned with the sin of the member of the church, the believer. Apparently, the woman was not a believer or a member because he never addressed her. Paul was on a mission tour. you got to catch this. He was not able to be, pers- be there personally. And he says, hey, listen, uh, I'm with you in spirit. And guess what? I've already passed judgment on this. In other words, he says, I don't even need to be there to tell you what to do. I don't need a fact-finding mission. I don't even need to hear this guy's side of the story. It is so blatantly obvious, it's a no-brainer. And you know what he's doing to the Corinthian believers? He is telling them, you, I, I, am, I am taking away every excuse. There is no leeway to make excuses. You've got to pass judgment on this guy. The offending brother is to be disciplined in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say our. It's written all through this passage, our Lord. Everybody say our Lord Jesus Christ. So they were to act, watch this, they were to act on Jesus' behalf, under his authority, exercising his kingdom power. That's an ambassador, folks. Paul is saying it is our Lord Jesus Christ that is being hurt. The name of our Lord and Savior Jesus is being hurt in the community because of what you all are letting happen in your church doors. It's an indictment, folks. It is for our Lord Jesus that this discipline must be carried out. And it is only Jesus that can turn this discipline into repentance. The brother, watch this. I'm telling you, I know this is, this is just hang with me. He says, we're going to deliver this brother over to Satan. Now, okay, so what does this mean, deliver this brother over to Satan, right? So this is not like some seance happened and we tie this guy up and we say, okay, Satan, Come on, he's all yours. And he drags him off and the guy's kicking and screaming and wailing until he repents and then he brings him back. That's not what he's meaning here. What Paul is saying here is that he is to be excommunicated from the church. Outside the church, out in the world is the domain of Satan. In the church is the domain of God. I'm going to have to be careful what I say here. Folks, that's why... And I, I get it. I, I know that the whole COVID thing and people are coming back and I, I praise God for that. I know there's work-related issues. I know this. But if your idea of watching me online right now is your church is now in your living room, you are making a huge mistake. Online church is for when you're sick or you're trying to make sure you don't get COVID or all these things. But at some point... Christ said, assemble yourselves together. If you are online watching in your living room and you, that is your idea of church for the next five years, how in the world, if God gives a word to Sonny Feck to deliver you and set you free, are you going to hear that when you're watching from your living room? How are you going to serve? Jesus said we are all supposed to be giving back and serving. How can you serve in your living room? How can you be a part of the body? We all need one another. Perhaps today is the day that Dale Kane, God has you been praying for your miracle to be healed. And today is the day that God's going to send Dale Kane to lay hands on you and you recover and get healed. How's that going to happen when you're watching from online? 
I listen, I'm alarmed by online church. I think it is absolutely against the Bible, number one. God said for us to assemble ourselves together. I told you, I'm just going to get, I'm an equal opportunity uh, in trouble today. <laughs> Praise God, I'm glad I'm going out of town Friday. Somebody else, yeah. So don't, don't call me for two weeks. I promise, Easter, I'll preach on Jesus. You'll be shouting me then, amen? We love to hear about Jesus and what he's done. But here's my point, folks. We need to be in the house of God. You can't feel the presence of God like you can in the house of God. You can't serve like you can in the house of God. And listen, I get it. I get it. I know there's people here that haven't been in a year because of COVID. I'm not beating anybody up. I understand the fear. My own brother was in the hospital, in and out, and nearly died. I get it. But what I'm saying is, if your mindset, if you're watching me online now, is to eat a bowl of Cheerios while you halfway watch church, that's not God's idea or plan. Is this okay today? The idea being, when, when Paul said we're going to deliver this guy to Satan, it's the kind of discipline, watch this, that would shame and humiliate him and bring him to his senses. Do you know what the greatest element we're missing in the church in America today? Good old-fashioned godly sorrow which leads somebody to actually repent. We're so afraid of making anybody feel bad that we're making them feel good going to hell. And I'm here to tell somebody, it's okay. Conviction is the good news. We need conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to be convicted of our sin. And we need to get on our knees and have good old-fashioned prayer that said, God, I've sinned. Will you please forgive me? It wasn't just the discipline to punish him. Well, we're going to get you. You're out. No, it was to awaken him to righteousness. It was to say, man, you ain't doing right. This, this would remove him from the covering of the church, listen, and allow the true effects of sin to come on him. So if I take this umbrella right here, and I walk outside in a rainstorm, it's heavily raining. I'm unaffected by the rain. If it's hailing, I'm unaffected by the hail. Hey, if it's a hot summer day and I don't want the top of my head to get... I know those of you with hair don't think about this, but this head will burn. It'll burn bad. And oh, you ain't had a sunburn until this thing's burnt. You keep you ball caps everywhere you go when you're me. Amen. And so you get out there and you... What are you? So watch this. Under this umbrella, the effects of rain, hail, sun, any of the elements, watch this, has no effect on me, right? But if I do like this, the rain's going to get me, the hail's going to put dents in my head, the sun's going to make it look like a lobster, watch this, under the umbrella, no effect, outside of the umbrella, major effect. In the church, under a body of believers, there is a covering of prayer. There is a corporate covering. So when the devil comes with a hailstorm spiritually against you, what's going to happen? The local body has you covered in prayer. Do you know, you prayed for me last week. Uh, for about a month and a half, I didn't sleep a whole night. Six out of seven nights, I went to bed and I woke up seven to eight hours later and I didn't even know nothing happened. Do you know what that is? 
That was me reaching out to my body of believers that are, I'm a part of and saying, I need prayer today. And y'all have been praying. And guess what? <laughs> I've been sleeping. It's probably why I'm so alone. You know, I don't know what today. Man, y'all be like, no, don't let him sleep no more. We don't want no more messages like this. But watch this. I just think I'm going to get outside the church and do it my way. What are you now open to? Protection, meat on Satan's table. God said, listen, the brother who calls himself a Christian that is deliberately living in sin, excommunicate him out the doors so when Satan kicks him around a little while, he'll come running back under the covering of Jesus in the body of Christ. Is this okay today? Paul's saying, this guy's having so much fun in his sin. Put him out the church away from the prayers, away from the love and the support of the body of believers, and let Satan kick him around a little while. And when he comes to his senses, he's going to come running home. Is that okay? Let him taste what it's like to face a hostile world, listen, without prayers and ministry of a local body of believers. Folks, we need each other. I need you. Proof is this week. I woke up last night, I was like, what time is it? Oh my gosh, I slept eight hours. Man, I'm like ready to run to a wall. We need each other. And this man wasn't the only one delivered to Satan in the New Testament. Can I keep going? 1 Timothy 1, 19 through 20. Holding on to faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. In other words, they were in the faith. Their faith has been wrecked. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, watch this, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. What would you think would be better, for someone to be perfectly comfortable in their whole life and never have a problem and go to hell? Or have someone delivered that calls himself a brother out in the world of Satan and let Satan whip them around a little bit, but they come back to God and they get saved and they're on their way to heaven. Folks, this is, this is heaven and hell we're talking about. The reason for this discipline, listen, was to help the man find his way back to God. It was about repentance. The flesh would be, he said, let's pray that the flesh gets destroyed. Watch this so that the spirit may be saved. It was all supposed to be carried out in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the church made the decision in Corinthians that the brother's sin must be dealt with. And then, in a broken heart and full of love, they pronounced that the man had to leave the church. Now, any physical or spiritual punishment was in the hands of the Lord, not in the hands of the church. What was Paul doing? Paul was following exactly what Jesus told us to do. How many want to know what Jesus told us to do? Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother or sister, that's somebody who calls himself a Christian. Everybody say, that's a Christian. That's a believer. If your believer brother or sister sins, willfully sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. It tells us to do this. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, you're out of the church and you're on your own. Now, the first step, tell the fault between the two alone in the spirit of Galatians 6.1. How's the spirit we're supposed to come across? 
Just like this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. He goes on to tell them, if they won't listen to you, take two or three elders of the church and say, listen, brother, we're trying to reach you, but what you're doing is not right. If they won't listen, he says, take it before the whole body of believers. Here's what this brother's doing or this sister, and we've tried everything. Church, we've got to get them to listen because this is about their soul. I told you this is going to go against every grain and fiber of American mindset that you have within you. Then he says, well, if they won't listen to the church and they say, I'm going to still do it my way. Well, brother, I'm sorry, but you have to leave the church. Till you repent, you can't come back. Hebrews 12, 5 says this, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, critics of this, critics of this passage and what I'm preaching to you now and this prescription, they say, well, it's too severe. You should note that the excommunication was never designed to be permanent. When the person repents, they should immediately be brought back into the fold of the church and loved as you would anybody else. When you discipline your child as a child, you don't throw them out and tell them never come home. You don't say, well, that's it. Your nose is in the corner the rest of your life. You're trying to send a message so that they understand what they've done is wrong, correct their behavior, and oh, praise God, come on. That actually hurt me more than it did you. How many parents in a, are you in here that it, your discipline of your children actually did and does hurt you more than it does them? How many know what I'm talking about? My dad used to say that. I'm like, my butt's on fire. What are you talking about? Did you hurt your wrist, beat me with this belt? What are you saying? I'm the one hurting my butt. I can't sit on the toilet. How does that hurt you more than me? But I understand it's the last thing a parent wants to do. But a good, godly parent will do it, and so will God. Apparently, this worked because in 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8, here's what Paul says. Paul says, well, in the first letter, he says, you won't even deal with it. Now he says, okay, now you've gone too far. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. In other words, you've made your point. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, reaffirm your love for him. In other words, Paul said between the two letters, this man repented, but you and the church are still keeping him at arm's length. He says, no, when the man repented, you love him back, you reaffirm your love, he's part of the body. Is this good teaching today? This is good teaching, Pastor Dow. Thank you. I appreciate that. If you don't think this is merciful and graceful, Moses would have had this man stoned to death. Paul is basically just saying, I just want the man to repent and get right. Because you see, the church must purge out the leaven or the sin. The church was glorying. It was boasting in the situation in this sin. Again, probably a prominent member. Maybe he's funding all the ministries. Whatever the thing might be, they were just brushing it under the rug. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, he says. Leaven is a type of sin in the Bible. Therefore, Paul is saying, if the man, listen, listen very closely. If the man and his shameful sin are allowed to remain in the church, the sin of the man will now spread. 
If the church accepts the man living in clear sin, then others will begin to feel that they too can be accepted in their sin. That's why be very, very careful what you say when someone dies. Because if they weren't right with God and there's 300 family members there and you go telling him that he's in heaven, what do those people now think? Well, if Fred made it in, I'm a shoe in. Be very careful what you say, folks. If there is not restraint on sin, it will grow. And it only takes a little. One fly in the ointment, Ecclesiastes 10.1 says it spoils the whole ointment. The little foxes spoil the vine. I remember one church, the pastor uh, got up to preach on a Sunday night. Church full of people in Carrollton, Georgia. His wife got up and she said, hold on. She said, I want you to know what your pastor's been doing. She said, I hired a private investigator. She pulled out this photo. She said, here's a picture of him and pointed out the lady, sister so-and-so going in the motel room. She got up, got her purse and walked out. He just sat there and kind of crossed his arms and just snickered. She said, pulled out another picture. This is your pastor and sister so-and-so over there getting into this hotel room. She went through three of them. She said, looked that back to the church. She said, now what are you going to do? They said, nothing. The pastor said, you can't touch me. You get out of here. That's, this is to his wife. The church all said, you get out of here. This is our pastor. Nothing's going on. Do you know why all the church was saying that? Because <laughs> they're all doing the same sin. Folks, that is not the church of Jesus Christ. That's the church that everybody's going to hell. Is, is this okay to preach? Do we still want to hear what the word says? So Paul says in verse 8, the church has got to clean itself out. It says, you've got to get the bread of wickedness out. Now, the bread of wickedness isn't just sin and coming short. It's taking pleasure in evil. You ever met somebody, they do wrong, and they're just, you know, I shouldn't have done that. But then you meet somebody that calls themselves a Christian, and they do what's wrong, and it's almost like they're doing it in your face. You ever felt that before? That's what this is talking about here. Paul says, get rid of the bread of wickedness. And I want you to start living in sincerity and truth. The word sincerity means pure, clear, or transplant, uh, transparent. In other words, a beam of sunlight, when it shines on, it will shine through whatever you're looking at. Maybe it's light-covered glass. And it will show that there is faultless, flawless purity in it. He says, you need to live by the truth. That which is unadulterated, conformed to the nature of whatever is true. Well, we know Jesus is truth, so we're supposed to be like Jesus. That means to live like him. Then he says, we need to keep getting the bread of wickedness out and getting sincerity and truth in. Let us keep or let us celebrate. In other words, in the Greek, that was present tense and it's ongoing. What Paul is saying is, to the church in Corinth and ultimately the Holy Spirit to us is, you need to keep on getting the wickedness out and keep on getting sincerity and truth in. Somebody say amen. So here's... Here's the end of this. In verse 9 and 10, Paul very clearly says, Don't judge unbelievers who are not Christians. Everybody say, don't judge unbelievers. Don't shun them. Don't not keep company with them. As Christians, we are not supposed to be living in a monastery. We are here to win unbelievers and lost to Jesus Christ. Watch this. Jesus ate with the publicans and the sinners and the harlots and all the other people. 
I find it interesting, watch this, old-timey church would say, you come into our church, you begin to act like us, think like us, do like us, and we'll let you in, otherwise you're out. But you know, the Bible tells us to do the very opposite. The Bible tells me a person in the church that's not doing right and they're absolutely living in sin, don't eat a meal with him, but I should be out eating meals with those that are in the world. Because my job is to win them to Christ. We still like this teaching? We may not like it, but it's the word, amen? And that leads me to point number two. I'm, I'm not much longer. Point number two is this. We are not to judge those outside of the church. We are to judge those inside the church. We are not to judge those outside of the church. Those who do not believe or follow Jesus Christ are those outside the church. We're not to judge them. We're to hopefully lead them to Christ. None of what I just preached applies to an unbeliever. So I've had people before tell me, will you tell me I can't even eat with my lost cousin? No, I'm telling you, go eat with your lost cousin. You are supposed to. But I'm telling you, if your cousin calls himself a Christian and he's living in deliberate sin, that's when the Bible says don't touch him. I, I, do we want to be biblical? I set you up earlier. <laughs> the church is never to take on the secular values of the world around us, but at the same time, we are to be part of the world to witness to them. So, in verses 11 through 13, the church is to separate itself from shameful, willful, and deliberately sinful people who call themselves Christians. And if the person refuses to repent, the church then has no choice but to separate from them, to excommunicate them, and remove them from the church until they repent. 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. Everybody say a brother. Who is sexually immoral, I'm going to define these for you here in just a second, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So watch this. The word company means to mix up. In other words, God says, the Holy Spirit wrote this, he says, you're not supposed to mix it up with any Christians or people that call themselves a Christian who practice these lifestyles. One, sexually immoral. That could be fornication, adultery. We did the sex message two weeks ago. That means all kinds of immoral sexual acts. He says, don't mix it up with covetous. Those who seek more and more with evil intent. Listen, it is not so much wanting more, it's the evil intent. Well, I hope you die so I can get your stuff. That's covetous. Extortionist. Thieves. Hijackers, those who take advantage of the poor in order to get more gain for themselves. Idolaters, those who worship false gods. Are you ready for this? This one, this one is going to be tough. A reviler. He says, anybody named a brother who's a reviler, don't even eat with them. Shun them. That's a person who rants and scolds, reviles and abuses, uses insolent, abusive, and slanderous language. Bible tells me if there's a slander in the church, go deal with them a couple times. If not... Hey, you're going to have to leave our church. I'm not supposed to eat with you. Is this the New Testament? I told you this is going to be a hard pill to swallow today. The New Testament lives, lists other types of individuals who are to be dismissed from a fellowship of a local church, and that is a constant troublemaker, a heretic, somebody who says, you know, the virgin birth's not real. Well, you're not even saved if that's the case. So here's the bottom line. I need you for the next one minute to listen closely. The church must judge only those within the church. God judges those without. Immoral, listen very closely. I need you to sit up. Give me about one minute. Watch this. 
Immoral unbelievers cannot hurt the church. What the world does cannot hurt the church. But immoral Christians corrupt it from within, which is why they must be avoided and expelled. It's implosion. It's exactly what's happening to the United States of America right now. We're not being overtaken by an outward enemy. We're blowing up from within. It's the same principle in the church. Churches, listen, that refuse to lovingly and clearly address unrepentant sin are not functioning as a biblically-centered New Testament church. Why is that important, Pastor? Because when you don't function as a biblically-centered New Testament church, you limit and negate God's powerful presence in your midst, which means you limit the number of people that can get saved, you limit His miraculous working power, you limit God. This is serious. Churches are hospitals for the sick. We welcome everyone who is sick. We welcome everyone who sins sick. If you're watching online and you're filled with sin, come on in. We love you. We want you to be here. But what the church must never do is allow the sin sick person to get comfortable in their sin sickness and stay that way. Last comment. Listen very closely and we're going to pray. When we do this, when we tolerate sin in the body, we cease to be a hospital, listen, and we devolve into a hospice that simply makes people comfortable going to hell. Well, pastor, what are we supposed to do with that? I just feel a good old-fashioned repentance altar time. Pastor, you you crazy, man. You preaching on throwing people out. I'm not trying to throw anybody out. But I am saying that if we're going to be the church that Jesus Christ commands us to be, we're going to have to deal with willful, deliberate sin inside the pews. And let me just take it a step further. We will deal with it. Again, I'm not talking about a mistake here or there. I'm not talking about, man, I, I don't know what got into me. I just, I'm embarrassed. I repent. That, that's not, we're not talking about that. We're talking about willful, deliberate, unrepentant sin. So I have a question for you. I'd like for you to bow your head and close your, your eyes. God convicted me over a couple of things this week. I didn't realize it was even there. What motives me? And I repented. When was the last time you as a Christian got down on your knees and really, truly repented for any sin that you may have committed? Anything you may have done wrong? You know, James says, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So you can have sins of omission, which means you sin because you didn't do something you were supposed to. And you can have sins of commission, which means you can have sins of things that you did do that you shouldn't have done. Can we just, here's what I feel in my spirit, what I felt all week as I was praying about this message. If you're physically able, maybe you can just get on your knees. If you want to come to the front, you can, or right where you're at. You're physically able and you want to. You can maybe get on your knees on the floor, put your elbows on the chair, and just ask God, search me, oh God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If God brings up an idle word you spoke or a, or a thought you had towards someone or whatever, maybe you talked about somebody behind their back, maybe you've done something, maybe nobody was around and you flipped that guy off. Whatever it might be, maybe you talked out of line against somebody, maybe whatever it might be. When's the last time you really got on your knees and you didn't ask God for something, but you went before him and said, God, forgive me of all my sins. Lord, I repent. Oh, to God that his church would repent under a holy God and to be washed clean. And to leave this house today washed in the blood of Jesus, clean in your hearts, in my heart. Hallelujah. I want to invite you to pray right now, just right where you're at. Not to ask God for anything, but to maybe just go before Him and say, God, you're a holy God, and I've not been holy. Maybe whatever it is, forgive me, Lord. Search me, God. I want to know if there's something between us. I want to be right in your sight. Can we do that now? Just find a spot where you can pray. They're going to do a song here in a little bit. The new beautiful song about the grace of God. But before we get there, could you just pray? Would you do that, church? Would you find a spot and just pray? Oh, God.